0: So here's the question, when the rules we've been operating by have burnt us out and the hamster wheel is keeping us awake at night and stuck, how do we, as expert entrepreneurs who want to make significant impact but just can't take on one more thing, grow our businesses and teams, double our revenue while working less? That's the question. This is The Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host, and this show explores the answers. Stay tuned and enjoy some brave conversations. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Business Habitat. I'm your host with the most, Sam Dean, and I have got an interview for you today, particularly for professional services. Experts, but anyone who really wants to think about their business and you know how how leaders serve both clients and also staff. Today, I have Christian Vandenbos on the podcast. Christian's originally from the Netherlands, started his military career in the Dutch army, and then also then you know came over to Australia, went into the Australian army. And something that surprised me about this podcast was the, um, the look at both of those. But the reason why I had Christian on is because he is a real thought leader and innovator in the legal area, particularly around in the introduction of sustainable learning into big practices. Because one of the things that we have problems with the expert style of businesses is the leaving of staff. And one of the reasons why staff tend to leave not just businesses, but the actual industries themselves is because the lack of growth. And Some of the ways that we can and traditionally do grow is in salaries and stuff, but there's a whole lot more around continuous learning and sustainable learning in that and, you know, how we can go forward in these industries. So I specifically got Christian in to talk about that and also, you know, how we we can put this into our own businesses. What we actually discussed and took away, definitely that was one of the aspects, but there were so many interesting things and I particularly... Really liked and listen out for it. That when the clients dictate what happens, which often we did, we kind of more in a service mentality and mindset rather than a peer mindset. And when you introduce that and have conversations, which we've talked about before, how that can really lead to deeper and better relationships with the clients. But taking that on board and taking it one step further and talking about leaders and how we tend to sometimes have a service mentality for our business and also for our staff. Now, having a service kind of mentality is, you know, actually detrimental to being a leader because, you know, a is about generating culture and leadership and that's about following. And if you do go in with a sort of serve mentality, that kind of contradicts leader. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons that we struggle. Anyhow, listen out for that. We also wrangle around, you know, CPD and, you know, how we kind of, see it as a cost and and our approach to it as opposed to investments and how the actual CPD numbers don't actually promote learning. So um, such an interesting podcast. It goes in a few directions and I strongly recommend listening to it and maybe even listening to it a couple of times because there's a lot of really, really good nuggets to take away from it. So stay tuned, enjoy and here's Christian and I really having a great conversation. Hello, everybody. I've got Christian Vandenbos here to have a conversation with us about sustainable learning, particularly, you know, how we might be able to implement and what are the benefits of implementation of this concept into professional services firm. So welcome, Christian. Thank you for taking the time. Can you just give us a quick intro where you're from, how you got to um, be here, and then we're going to really get down and, and look at that the concept of sustainable learning, you know, why it's important, what it is, and why it's so necessary, particularly at the moment, the moment in time we find ourselves in. So welcome and take it away.
1: Thank you, Sam. Uh, And thanks for inviting me on this podcast. It's really exciting. Uh, Yeah, just who am I and why why am I here today? Uh, I, I have a Probably a bit of a non-conventional background not only was I not born in Australia I was born in the Netherlands but I also have uh, the majority of my professional career has been within the military and what makes it unconventional is because I served in two militaries as an army officer both in the Netherlands army and in the Australian army um, I served as, a, as an officer and what I've seen um, through those two different organizations is armies of similar size similar ambition And completely different approach to people, uh, organization, productivity, performance, and and all all that alike. And when I came to the Australian Army, I realized how the Netherlands Army is actually treated and run like a commercial operation. So there was a really big shift that I saw when I came to the Australian Army. When I joined the Army in 1995, I never really expected for me to be a lifer. So I always thought I'd get out of the Army at some point in time, go and get into the commercial world. And I really started um, solidifying that idea probably around 2010, 2011. So I left the military in 2016 after I'd pretty much achieved everything that I wanted to achieve. And I had learned so much along the way. For me, my journey in, in the military was not just two decades of leading soldiers and officers in the field, but it was also about learning how to develop leaders, but also focus on my personal learning and how I actually never stopped learning in in those worlds. And that really um, got me into a concept which I like to refer to as sustainable learning on how can you actually continue to learn every single day, not just as an individual, but also as an organization. So in 2016, I left, I had a really nice sabbatical, um, and then I moved into the commercial world. And my first gig was as a a business manager in an engineer consulting firm where I was hired to.
0: I have to stop you now. Can we circle back just for one thing? So if the Netherlands was very commercial, what was the Australian army? It wasn't run commercially?
1: (laughs) Oh, no, 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 not not at all. So I'll give you a quick example. So in in the Netherlands army, you just worked 38 hours a a week and you were actually paid for overtime. Now within a unit or in like a brigade sized unit, the, the brigade actually had an overtime budget quarterly. So they could only spend so much money per quarter, per brigade on overtime. That meant that people learned how to prioritize. So if I had to work late on certain projects, I actually needed to get approval because the chief of staff was responsible for all the overtime. Now, when you come into the Australian army, nobody cares about that, right? Because you get you paid your paid salary and they just stack up on the work. And especially, yes. you know, if we look at the, the, the level of major captain in the Australian army, they just do a lot of work and it just gets piled on and nobody cares. Nobody, nobody prioritizes because there is no incentive to prioritize. So that was probably um, the big difference. You know, the other thing that I also found very different is the uh, career development pathways. So within the Netherlands Army, there is a lot of agreement. So the, the Army can come up to you and say, hey, we think you're a high performing officer and we really need you to go into this role as, because it serves the organization. We appreciate that that may not be aligned with what you really want. So tell us what you want and we'll give you what you want afterwards. So there was a lot of negotiating, whereas in the Australian army it's very different. You just kind of... Six months out you get mm. told where you go, usually around the July timeframe, when everyone does the musical chairs dance around January. So those are very different approaches, but also the way resources are allocated, resources are spent, it's, it's just very different. So where we... Um, what the Australian Army does well, that the brigades get, you know, resources allocated per year, and every you know a couple of months there is cross-leveling within the brigade, but it just stays within the brigade, and it, you kind of get into that yeah. habit yeah. that you see a lot with government organisations here is like, oh, you know, it's the end of May, we've got these budgets, let's spend it, otherwise we're going to get less yeah you know next year. Whereas in the, the Netherlands Army, it was, your budget wasn't allocated based on what you spent the last year, it was based on what you forecast. For the next year so you know it wasn't that automatic but yeah so there were some differences and that's why i say you know the netherlands army was probably more run like a, a commercial entity of your know, commercial organization
0: that's fantastic insight and i think a good case study because one thing i picked up what you just said which is so interesting particularly for um, professional services and then when we get to sustain le- learnings is that the fact that when you do have more casual or part-time permanence, and you do have to budget your overtime and everything. So I'd never thought of it that way, is that that actually should require you to learn the skills that most people I find in business don't have, particularly business owners as well, particularly in the professional services business, because everyone's salaried, they expect you to work 50, 60 hours, which is an inefficient use of people's energy, and you cannot be efficient in that time. but then. It's because, well, I'm paying them anyhow, so I expect it. But then those, you know, we always struggled in the accounting firms is that people would stuff around all day and then, you know, work at night and say I'm working big hours and say, well, if you actually approach your days more efficiently, you wouldn't have to work overtime at all. But they weren't being paid for it. And because we were a business, we weren't paying for it. So it's such an interesting thing to look at what the army showed you, the two different armies showed you, to what possibly some of the you know the salaries that we have cause inefficiency behavior because you're getting you are paying them anyhow or our mindset is you know get this salary it means that I I work whatever as opposed to the the more kind of I got 38 hours to do this job and this is what I need to do it in otherwise it won't get done. Would you agree? Is it you're seeing that and I I definitely see that in professional services all the time and I'd never quite thought of it that way so Thank you. It wasn't the intention, but um, thank you for the conversation. I think that then leads us back into sustainable learning and, and how you got there from when you took your first management
1: position in the was a uh, engineer consulting firm. Yeah, an engineer consulting firm, and, and I was baffled. I, I saw saw similar things that made absolutely no commercial sense to me whatsoever. So the the way uh, projects were were priced, scoped, and won were. Yeah, you a know, little bit questionable, you know, like, ah, this is probably the market value. So, But do we understand how much it actually costs us to deliver these projects? So that's one of the first changes that I made is that everything that I don't care how we price it, but we need to understand how we deliver it. So everything needs to come bottom up. We need to understand where, where our costs are, what are our fixed costs, what are our variable costs of whatever project that we get. Now, the other thing that I found really interesting, let's say a project was, Priced for a hundred thousand dollars, that included obviously profit, right? And the project manager then believed that they had hundred thousand dollars. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, professional th- services mindset. So, uh, <laughs> was like no, project?
1: hang on, <laughs> hang on. This, yeah. this is not how we can run a sustainable business, right? So if we if we price a project at eighty eight thousand dollars as cost and we send it to the client for $100,000 and that is $12,000 profit, as soon as we get the the, the go-ahead, your budget for for delivery is $88,000, not $100,000. Now, and trying to change that mindset within an organization that was probably very stale and stagnant, that was was difficult because I had project managers said, hey, you're stealing my money. I said, well, first of all, it's not your money, it's the company's money, right? so there there was a a big change in uh, commercial thinking or probably that had to occur because there was no commercial thinking um every project was based on technical delivery and there was no commercial understanding uh, the relationship with clients was not very good it was they had a serving relationship with clients like we yeah, yeah. see a lot in professional yeah, services yeah. firms so they, have, they, they serve their clients, and that means that the clients dictate what happens. Yes. Now, uh, yeah, I had one client who I was told was very difficult, very demanding, and never respected us, but they paid well, because they were a big organization. Yeah. Now, that's what I was told. I met the gentleman at a lunch. I was probably with the firm about five weeks, and I thought he was a very friendly gentleman. Anyway, so there wasn't, um, what happened, probably a few weeks later, he rang me. I saw, you know, he rang me on my phone, but I was doing some work. So I thought, oh, he'll leave a message and then I'll call him back. But he didn't leave a message. Then he rang me again while I was out for lunch with one of my people. We we're having a conversation about some performance. And I, again, he didn't leave a message. So he rang me again at around three o'clock and then he left a message. So I called him back about a half an hour later. And he said, um, oh, first and foremost, I think it's unacceptable that I have to call you three times and then have to leave a message. And then you call me back.
0: That's common courtesy. It's, it's called being a human.
1: <laughs> anyway, so I said, okay, well, let's, let's look at this. I said, tomorrow, I in my calendar, between 10 and 12, I'm reviewing all your projects. Now, let's say it's 10 past 10 and my phone rings and somebody else calls me. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to continue working on your projects or do you want me to answer the phone, be distracted from your work and attend to somebody else? And he dropped a little silence and he said, I'll never mention it again.
0: Can everybody who's listening, who is in the professional services, who uh, the clients thing, listen to that, rewind it and re-listen to it? Keep going. Sorry. And
1: what what I find with, um, he he turned out to be one of our best clients because if you can establish a relationship of parity with your clients, you actually establish a true relationship. And then you can also be more demanding on your clients. It's like, we can do all this for you, but this is your part in our delivery. We can only deliver this if you do this for us on time. Mm -hmm. And... I find that if you work with clients that way, um, work becomes a lot more enjoyable. But you need to have the backbone to do that first and foreup. For me, it was really easy because I was new to the commercial world. So that was my first ever commercial job. So I appreciate I was in a luxurious position where if something went wrong, people said, oh yeah, but this is first time in the commercial world. So I got a little bit of slack. I also had it easy because obviously I have Dutch background. So if I'm a little bit direct to people, that's what people expect from me. You say, oh, these Dutch people, they're always that direct. Mm-hmm. So that's something that works in my favor. But the principle is the same. The principle is the same. So if you, if you treat your clients like they are a peer and you expect it from your clients, you, you, know, you get a lot more healthy um, relationships. And where I said about serving clients Um, I also see that when when we're talking about serving leadership within our organizations. Uh, I know it's a very um, cool topic and people think it's very catchy. Uh, I don't really believe in it because my, my role as a leader in the organization is not to serve my people. My role is to actually lead my people and there's a difference between them. And that means that I need to make sure that they are set up for success. And my, my focal point needs to be my people my and my people's productivity. But that doesn't mean that I serve them. Yeah, And I think that it, it's not just a semantic thing, but I find that maybe because English is my second language, that the, the power of words is sometimes underestimated.
0: For sure, yes. The words
1: that we choose to describe something uh, really matters.
0: I, I really want to explore that one for a second because we do a lot of a lot of work, obviously, with the leaders of the organisation. And sometimes people are leaders because they're owners and they don't necessarily have a leader's mindset, which is what you're talking about. And then if there's people within the organisation who are leaders because they don't have the title, also don't consider themselves leaders. But what I love there, that I'd, I I had, hadn't really thought about before, and it's probably an Australian thing a little bit, is the serve mentality. So, yes, with the clients, I can see that. But so often when we're working with people, particularly in our line Leader programs, it's like they think of themselves as leading others, then they don't think of themselves as leading themselves. And then they think of them leading others as I need to do the best for them. I need to serve them, which actually puts them not as a peer or as a leader because leaders need people to follow them. Is that what you're saying there? That I need to lead them and lead them to my best ability so they can be the best they can?
1: yeah because when we're looking at serving, there is always a uh if we have a relationship where one party is serving, that also means that they are submissive, generally speaking, right and I, I believe that could never be the role of a leader, you know and and that's where as a leader, you need to make sure that you create an environment yeah. uh, where your people generate productivity. And that's another thing that we really need to um, be understanding of as as a leader, understand what you can create and understand what you can generate because that's really, really different. So leaders can't create a healthy culture. They can generate a healthy culture. And what I mean by generate, if if, if something you can create, you can pretty much do on your own. But something that you generate, you need other people So you can influence other people to collectively generate something. So that's where we need to understand uh, as leaders, what do we do? And that's what I like about sustainable learning because the leader themselves continues to learn. And they, they learn not just from the people that they lead, they learn from their peers, they learn from the world around them. And that's where you uh, you need to be ready to be uh, challenged and tested. But you constantly lead the learning process, even though others may still uh, take um, the focus or the forefront on certain topics or certain areas or they actually bring something in. But you as a leader are responsible for the collective learning of the people that you lead.
0: Yes. So what you're saying there is that one of the biggest roles and the shift that I'm hearing here in the leaders' mindset, particularly in the, you know, obviously we're focused on professional services experts, is that this subservant, it's very hard to learn when you're being subservant and serving. And I think that you've really hit the nail on the head. And then sustainable learning then comes into it by actually then teaching their, their staff and everything to do it. And actually, you know, looking at that what I what I saw there is leaders can't create a healthy culture. And I think that takes a lot of pressure off. Like I think that people talk about cultures and particularly I found this too, you know, as a professional service person who was trying to lead and hadn't been taught to lead, that, oh, you've got to create the culture and you've got to do this. It actually is a whole lot of pressure. And then you feel that you're you are serving your leaders, but you can generate one, which means that there's a whole team on board with the sustainable learning. And I think you mentioned it there before, that word of productivity. And one thing that I'm interested in in your previous conversations is how that we we actually, from a sustainable learning point of view, how that word productivity as opposed to performance, you know, kind of gets in the way. What's your experience on that, particularly in in professional services businesses, and how can we kind of shift that to um, maintain a sustainable learning going forward?
1: All right. So what we what what you see with performance is that performance is generally related to KPIs, right? So what do we now set as our KPIs? How do we measure performance? And what you know? And if we look at our performance, and I, I work you know with law firms mainly. If you look at how people are reviewed at the end of the year, then it is you know what were your billable hours? What were your um, uh, what was your billable time? How much of a CLE or CPD did you actually do? And did you meet the required amount of pro bono work? Now, these are all metrics which are really easily measurable, you know, because just, you, you just run, a, run a, an SQL or something, and you get everything in an overview. But does that mean that people are truly being productive? Now, for instance, if we look at uh, the way work is delivered, if we have fixed fee work, and this is kind of going back to the engineer consulting firm as well, if we have a fixed fee job within a law firm, what do we tell the solicitors and, and the associates that actually work on this job? Do we give them a budget, said, well, you have to deliver this within eight hours, otherwise we're not going to make money out of it? Or is it just you need to do it? Now, generally, it's just, hey, you just need to do the work. And I don't really care if you work until midnight, it just needs to be done. And these are, these are, um, non-visible costs now if we don't look at how productive are these people we've 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 sold it to the client for it to be like eight hours of work but they spend 12 hours on it so we're not being productive we're not being efficient and why is this person actually spending 12 hours on it we don't know because we don't investigate these are costs that we don't see and therefore we have a false idea of performance And I'll give you an example. I'm I'm working with a senior associate at the moment who uh, failed to to make her budget this year. And when we looked into it, why she failed to make a budget is because she was put on all this fixed fee work for pretty much 80% of the time. So she had no opportunity to generate any billable time beyond that. And because there was no incentive to deliver efficiently, she just spent a lot of time on delivering it. And that's because they were pursuing perfection instead of excellence. And if you pursue perfection, you just keep going over and over the work again, trying to do fault finding. Whereas if you pursue excellence, excellence includes so much more. Excellence includes that you deliver the work to an acceptable standard within the time frame, um, but it also includes other parameters of performance. And that means that we don't just deliver the work, we actually use our work to increase our expertise. So what do we now actually learn from delivering this work instead of just delivering the work? And that means that when we we obviously have uh, work that pays the bills, but are we also looking for work that helps us really bolster our expertise? And And that's what we need to look at if we look at productivity and performance, it's Performance needs to include more. It needs to include more than just whatever you can find on a balance sheet. Now, if we look at the, uh, if we talk about balance sheets, we obviously uh, look at costs as well. And there's so many hidden costs that you never, ever, ever find back on balance sheets. For instance, if you look at law firms, they often pursue billable hours and they have their their profit metrics are monthly. They wanna make profit every month which means you're going to be overly reactive and you're always scrambling to get your profit in per month. If you were to stretch that out and say, hey, actually, we're going to look at our financials annually, that means that you have a lot more time to actually make your profit. You need to understand, when do I actually want to make my money? So for instance, when I um, speak with partners about investing in their people, say, oh yeah, but if I now actually, if they spend all this time on this this and this development, they can't, we can't build for that. So, but when do you want to make your money? Do you want to make your money this week? Or do you do you want to sustainably make money over the next 10 years? And that's why we need to uh, look at the way we spend our time and, and money on our people, not so much as a cost, but as an investment. Now, the funny thing is I once sat down with a client who wanted to look at their profit. And let's say, oh, okay, well, I believe that the best way to increase your crop profit is by increasing productivity, increasing revenue. But you would make a mistake if you don't look at your costs. You need to understand your costs and you need to yeah. be efficient and you need to cut out waste where you can. Funnily enough, I found my own invoices under the cost heading. You now I can understand why they do that. I can understand you know, because on the balance sheet, that's where it lives. But there is a big mindset Difference between a cost and an investment that if we look at costs, we don't care about costs We don't care about a power bill. We only pay it because we want the power to stay on It gets paid. Nobody questions the power We don't question the quality of the power how it actually how does the power now help us grow as an organization? We don't do that with costs, right? But investments are different. We are personally invested in investments because we expect something in return we expect to get something out of our investments. And we follow up. So, so we invested this time or money or whatever into this. So what are we, how, how are we doing? How is this helping our organization? How, is, how are we growing? And how are we going to make more profit down the line? And that's, well, so that's I what guess. I work with leaders on. Like That is the big mindset shift that you might need to make. If you send your, your staff away on a course, don't just send them away on a course pay the invoice and forget about it, this is an opportunity for you to get involved and secure that your investment is actually used well. And that means that when they come back, don't just ask them, hey, how did it go and what did you learn? But how are they now going to implement what they learned in the workplace? And that's your role as a leader to keep a finger on the pulse on is this actually, has it been worthwhile? Because you can continue sending people on courses that are Actually, not doing anything for you for your organization just to tick a box. So that's where we, as, as leaders, need to understand that we need to really be clear on what is a cost and what's an investment, because that's how we think about investments. Now, the other thing about just a little segue to the, the sustainable learning part: the when we think about learning, we always think about acquiring new knowledge, new skills, new competencies, and all that kind of stuff, right? But what I believe is an essential part of sustainable learning is for leaders to understand what they need to forget. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yes. It's what you need to take out that's important. It's like cleaning your wardrobe.
1: <laughs> exactly. And professional services firms are pretty poor at that because they still believe that you know, the, the, the principal or the CEO in a law firm needs to be the... the the legal mastermind of the firm. Well, that doesn't really work that way. Because if that's the case, who who is running the firm? Who's looking after the commercials? Who's looking after developing the workforce? Uh, And if we, we we need to understand that once you move up the corporate ladder um, within a firm, and I appreciate especially law firms are partnerships, which makes it sometimes a bit more tricky. But you need to understand what is now my responsibility? What do I need to retain? And what do I actually need to forget? Because if we carry too many of the lower level competency skills up with us, what we inadvertently are doing is disempowering our people. And that's why we need to understand in an organization, who are the organizational leaders? Who are the operational leaders? And who are the operational experts? And if you can make a division in those three within your organisation and get clarity on that, you'll see that it starts changing your behaviours on where rules and responsibilities lie.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Aligned Leader, a six-week program built to combat the leadership fatigue syndrome so you can grow your business without the overwhelm. Man, that is gold. And I've, I've said it in other ways, but I just love the way you just said you know, we need to understand what we forget. I can't remember who said this quote, but it's actually what you let go of that actually leads to success necessarily than what you actually learn going forward, because you can't carry it all with you. And that's more of an inner work one. But it is exactly sustainable to leadership as well, because you see it all the time, like you'll have leaders or partners um, and you know we primarily got 50% probably a little bit more working in accounting firms same principle is that they can go back into the bookkeeping and they can do that and it's so disempowering for everybody else to say well that's actually my role and then they're doing everything and then they're burning out and they're not doing any of the commercial stuff and then they say well I don't really know how to do that of course you don't you don't have the time to actually learn <laughs> so because you're carrying everything around you don't have the capacity in your head. And you don't have the capacity, you know, in your timing and and your day as well. So, such a good quote, and I think that will be one of the ones that we take as many we're going to take away from this. So, what I'm hearing there is sustainable learning is really not okay. We're going to do this PD because I think you know when you we go back to the cost versus investment stage. I think my personal opinion, as someone who is long term in the professional services industry you know, 30 odd years experience as an accountant, the PD issue, so the CPD or CPE, whichever industry you're in, is a massive issue. And it's very much, okay, well, there's a certain cost that goes with the fact that you need to get 30 or 40 or 50 hours of CPD. And a lot of the CPD stuff is is very much, I'm just going to tick those boxes. So I'm going to go to a conference gonna learn stuff gonna in my my old days drink a lot Um, so then when we come back it's kind of just forgotten so it's ticking a box to get some numbers on the side of our name as opposed to you know we used to have this program if, if you go away you can you know have your budget and spend it but you have to then come back with a program that implements that but even back then it was all technical it was all okay well what's the current tax law changes or you know because you know tax accounting is basically law as well so um and I think that that kind of mindset is is what you're talking about. There is don't don't look at those CPD points as the goal because they're easy to me- measure. But it's actually what are you bringing back? You know, from how can we actually implement what you're learning into the rest of the people, including the leaders? And also look at it from a sort of a mindset, you know, balance sheet as opposed to a cost one. Because I think that that's another problem. It's a double whammy. It's a cost, but it's a cost we have to have to keep our professional accreditation. There's no kind of exploration in the sustainable learning that comes from it.
1: Now, the other thing about CPD, um, quite often, it is determined uh, what you need to talk about. Yes. But like, nobody ever prescribes how you need to do it. Yes. So I'll give you exactly. an example. Yeah. So, for, yeah. I um, I worked with with a with a partner who needed to present on a topic for CPD for all the you know, you know associates within the firm to attend and absorb knowledge and the partner she was a bit anxious about it because she didn't really like you know to stand in front of a crowd and speak you know within the firm so well how about we reduce your level of speaking then you know if it's a 40 minute session we don't need you to speak for 40 minutes we can do it very differently but instead of you presenting something that you not very good at is facilitating so let's how about when you start facilitating a session so you don't get somebody to speak for 40 minutes but you you do an intro you break people up in groups you get them to think about the topic as a collective and then you facilitate you know the the discussion between you know the, the groups that you have and what you what you get out of that other than just people attending, you know, 40 minutes of 45 minutes of CPD, being bored because it's during the lunchtime, they are actually now more actively involved because they are triggered to think about something and have an internal discussion. You have an opportunity to understand what facilitating is. You have an opportunity to learn during this session, not just facilitate, but learn about your own facilitation skills and learn from other people. But more importantly, what you do is you create a cohort. And that is the most important thing. And that's what I believe when we look at sustainable learning. Sustainable learning, you need to create cohorts because people don't just learn top down. They learn more from each other. And if you, you know, like in this facilitating session, what you now do is you get all these people in the room and they are speaking to each other and with each other about these topics. And all of a sudden, they now also learn from each other's perspectives and you create connections then. Because you might have people in the firm that have never really, you know, spoken to each other. They now sit next together in the CPD and just listen or zone out, one of the two, and they're still not talking to each other. So we need to if we need to bring people together to tick a CPD box, we need to make sure that this time is used productively. So this is also being productive, right? You can just do a PowerPoint presentation for 35 minutes and then try to draw some questions out in the last five minutes and then you've ticked the box. But how many people have actually learned something in that session?
0: You'd be lucky if it's even 5% because I I know that, you know, as somebody who has run them, who has sat through them, who's insisted staff go to them, you know, we have a very different approach now. But also, you know, what we do with firms is if you're doing those sessions, get them to watch the video because quite often with counting CPDs, accounting people don't want to even present themselves with the topics, so they um, get someone else to do it. So it's like get them to watch the videos online before they come and then at lunchtime it's, okay, grab a client or whoever and and workshop it. And that's what you're saying is you've got to put this this sustainable learning is, you know, very much, you know, get to team together so you're covering off the accountability pieces. It's a bit more fun because you're having conversation about it. And then then people learn, and so not only is it at the cost, because I mean those CPD sessions, God, I used to just do all my emails through it, you know, back in the day before I understood any of this stuff. Yeah, I got my tick, but don't ask me what that like if they're talking about seven A or, or whatever that was. Fairly arrogant too I was, <laughs> which was inappropriate too. But um, yeah, we we went and say that, and I can see how financial planners do it as well. They they're just ticking off online, and sometimes they don't even get themselves to do it. They'll get their cohorts. So there's such a what you're saying there. There is such a waste of opportunity because we're in a learning environment, and if you stop learning, you stop growing, and that's is what's happening in a lot of these firms. The culture isn't growing. You know, the revenue is stag- everything's kind of stagnating. The revenue, the culture, the mindset, and this is this is one of the reasons I think that while you've put it in a very different frame, which I'm really enjoying, I'm just loving actually. <laughs> There's that, get it into you every day, yeah.
1: Yeah, and the big point, and the big point about learning, um, so for instance, if you have that 45 minutes, why waste 20 minutes of that 45 minutes in just giving people information? They can do that beforehand. Send them that a week before, Said, hey, this is what I'd like you to read or listen to, or here's a video that I'd like you to watch. So when we come in, everyone's prepared and we can actually start learning, not just you know, absorbing you know, information. And that's where, you know, when you see organizations who, who truly have a, a um, learning culture and, and not a teaching culture, the big difference between a teaching culture is, it, it is uh, from, it's always from the perspective of the teacher. I have the knowledge and I now need to impart that knowledge onto other people. I have mentees within the law firm or in the accounting firm. I have all this knowledge and I'm now going to download all this knowledge to these people. That is from the perspective of the teacher, which doesn't guarantee learning. And in a learning environment, what you do is you actually look at it from the perspective of the student, the person learning. And that means that the way you present information, the way you actually get people to learn is that you take into consideration how do they absorb knowledge the best what support do they need in the learning process, not just in the acquiring knowledge, but how do they now implement it and how do they get feedback and coaching on what they have implemented. And what you see in a learning environment is that it is all directional, whereas in a teaching environment, it's it's generally top down. And we really need to understand that in this world that anyone in an organization can learn from anyone. And the most basic, basic examples of that is how often have you seen a partner in a firm with 35 years experience call in that 18 year old person and said hey help me out with this work document because I don't understand how this work, or do it for me or whatever right so it, and that's obviously very basic but especially when it looks at our clients um, if we have if we are still driven by the idea of client relationships like they were in the 90s, or maybe even 15 years ago, we need to understand that a a lot of our clients are of a much younger age. So our younger people in our firm may have a more mental connection with them. You know, so if we don't listen to them, then we might actually get disconnected from a portion of our clients.
0: And I think that's so important because we are definitely seeing a um a gap appearing in the professional services industry, and this is across the board. It's not just accountants and lawyers, but in that some of the younger people aren't coming in because they're looking at us and going, "Well, I don't see myself there. I don't. I don't want to be that." And everyone still needs accounting and law and, and everything like that as well. So they're not seeing themselves in the lineup in the, you know, in the in the in the actual um people who's talking about this sort of stuff. And we're having a great problem, you know, finding new and improve new new staff um, because the actual, I'm not sure about law, but I know for sure a lot of the finance areas, the, the universities are having mass drops on, you know, accounting, finance and all of those, you know, significant 50, 60% drops. I'm um, not just in Australia, but definitely overseas, you know, Penn University and all of that. The stats coming out of them are pretty amazing. The overall graduates are going into more, um, you know, relationship-based and and not hardcore style of um, businesses because they're looking at the industry and going, "I'm not even sure we're going to be there," or or whatever it is. It, it doesn't matter. And we can learn so much from different styles of people that we can bring into our businesses. Given this opportunity, that perhaps the traditional style of people isn't coming through the universities anymore. But what could what interesting people that we can learn so much from? Could we actually get in to help us? with these problems. And we don't have to, we can actually learn from other people, different things. And I think that's going to have to, we're going to have to do that because literally the style of people that we were younger, you know, aren't there anymore. Like they're literally not there. You're not going to find somebody who will work uh 50, 60, 70 hours like we did like I did. You didn't, you're in the army, but um you might have. Um and we're not going to find somebody who thinks eighty percent is a an achievement doesn't even want to work to that. But we are gonna find people who are really driven, really wanna get really efficient, do things in a different way, but still get great advice out to people and really get to know their clients. So I think that that's such an interesting thing, you know, around the sustainable learning is that it's not just about the PDs. It's not just about how we used to learn. It's about how, I mean, I think about how how I learn. I, I go and grab something. There's a couple of things I'm, I've written down here and I'm going to go and try to put them into my everyday. And that's how I learn. I read a book. I go and try to put it in some, some things I'll leave on the floor and some things I'll take forward with me. And then I'll think, yeah, that's such a great point. That's how I have learnt, learned over the time. I'm self-aware and I've done the work. And now, you know, going forward in these industries, I feel so much hope that that we can actually start listening to people such as yourself, you know, about how we can do these changes with different styles of, of people. So um, before we go, is there anything else that you haven't said that you would like to point out?
1: Oh, that's just one, one thing that, um, you know, when I said, you know, we need to understand what words we use, right? And what you currently see in the, in the legal industry here in Australia is that firms have difficulty hanging on to um, solicitors two to four years P.A.E. You know, because they, they leave. And I've spoken to quite a few um, leaders in the legal industry. Said, "So why do why are these young people there? Well, they're just you know they they're here to deliver and they're here to learn." I said, "Great, I agree." Because young people, they want to see progression. They want to see progression in what they do. And that's not just always salary. They want to actually feel like they're going places. But the question that I asked them is that I agree that they're here to learn, but what's your role in that? What's your role as you know the partner or the, the senior associate or whatever? What's your role in their learning journey? Oh, well, we just give them work and they need to learn. You know, people don't learn on their own. You know, they need to have guidance. They need you to be involved in their learning journey, and that is obviously something that is very unfamiliar to, um, especially people with say twenty years plus experience in professional services firms, because they have never done that, and they have learned that way. They they were just inundated with work, you know, when they were younger. But that's not that's not the way people learn anymore. And what people now do is they they just leave. They don't stick around. That's what we need to focus on. You know, if we can focus, especially our, our juniors, if we can create an environment in which they feel that they can learn, they'll stick around,
0: and then they can grow within the business itself. They don't then move to others. And I think you know, I've been talking about this for a long time. It's like well, you have to change our approach. And I was brought up, you know, in that time of. I still don't know how I survived it. Um, I did because that was what was done. But now what's being done is different and we need to, you know, we really need to embrace that. And then as the next, as the generation of leaders now in professional services industries, we have to learn and we have to learn new skills to do this because the old model of getting a whole stack of people in below and whoever raises to the top and survives it wins doesn't work anymore thank God, because it burned a lot of people out. We lost a lot of people who had great skills. There's, there's our middle management people. There's our senior accountants and our things is that we burn them out and then they went, this is not our thing and it's the same for law, same for financial, it's the same for most of it. They've gone elsewhere. They're not actually doing accounting or law or, or anything else. They might have gone and opened businesses up or, you know, done other things. We could get some of them back, but we burnt them out. So now we're in a great shortage, but we can learn. This is the great thing about being human is that we can learn and we can go forward and we can not make that mistake again. And we've got to accept that maybe a 25 or 30-year-old would be interested in, um, you know, a different style of ownership or a different style of something. They don't have to wait their their 12 to 13 years become, I think well, it's even worse a little bit than accountants, you know, associates and, and all of this sort of stuff. We need to start chucking out our structures, and but I love the concept that we actually don't need to even be as technical as that. If we could do the sustainable learning and people feel that they're growing, they'll stay, even if it's not on a board or it's not promised or whatever that is. If they feel that they're learning what everything that they can learn from you. And as leaders, we need to free up our time so we can do that and allow them to do it. And that's really hard to undo. I acknowledge that because, you know, I've had to undo it as well. And it's great to have someone like Christian come in from an outside view. And we have to listen now. We have to listen to what he's saying. We have to listen to what other people are saying as well. And we have to learn. And up until now, we've learned the technical stuff. And geez, we're good at it. But we have to learn it so other people can learn from us because we have the expert advice in our heads. We don't want other people actually you know, take computers or whatever talking about it because humans still want to be human. Graduates still want to learn from other lawyers. Graduates still want to learn from, from other things. They, they want to do that, but we need to learn how to actually do it.
1: Yeah, and if you, you, you mentioned the technical stuff, if people continue to learn in the technical streams, you know, that may at some point in time be finite, right? Say, hey, I know everything there is to know. I know everything there is to know. I don't need to learn anymore. But when we look at running a business, commerce, people leadership that that there is no end to the amount of learning that you have there and just because you've just made it to as, as a CEO you don't need to you can't stop learning you know you continue to learn and you need help with that because it's it's really difficult to learn alone and I, I often make the comparison to you know when CEOs tell me like oh, i don't need a coach um, i'm a CEO i am where i need to be and I don't know much about tennis, but I've heard mm-hmm. of Roger Federer. So I generally throw out, I said, so um, what do you think that Roger Federer did when he became you know, the world's best tennis player? He got more coaches. <laughs> um, do, you think, do you think he went to his coach and said, hey, I don't need you anymore because I, I, I am where I need to be? But you know, people still need coach, coaching, learning, because the world around you changes. You know, your competition gets better. You know, people, you know, everything changes. So you need to continue to learn to stay, you know, abreast and ideally ahead of what's happening in the world around you.
0: I honestly changed my life when I realized that when I went over to America and every amazing person I met had sometimes even more than one coach, different styles, there are different styles. I went, oh, my God, this is what's been missing. So that was when I was technically a leader and blah, blah, blah. Changed my life. First of all, it's not so lonely. So you can actually talk to somebody. Second of all, like I've got a couple of types, you know, business and, and personal, because you know, as leaders, all of our stuff goes on in inside our head, not it's not even external blocks, it's usually internal. You no, know, it's always internal, even if you think it's external. And it you 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 marked it right up. The higher you get up the ladder, the technical, ladder, the actual, you know, corporate ladder or you you know, you get into ownership, the more you need support, the more people you need around you because there's less people around you and you need to surround yourself with people who are gonna stretch you a lot because when we shift from employee to employer, I found suddenly all of the infrastructure that we had before goes away. So the accountability pieces, the position descriptions, the clarity of roles, all of that sort of stuff goes away. Um, so you need to get help on that. You need to, to learn. And then also, yes, you're shifting from a learning role into you know the, the mentoring roles and that sort of stuff. You need help on that. And then you're going from a very technical person whose whole idea was that into a business role. And we've never been taught that. So um, this is the time that you need to get more support around you. And the investment that I've done in myself has paid off 10 or 15 fold. But as Christian said earlier, it didn't pay off in the first or second year. Like you can't, you can't see that. This that there, you know. I would, I would, I would love to explore the concept of you know how we were talking about balance sheet. We just kind of need a mindset or growth balance P and L and balance sheet. I don't know how you would do that. It's a bit woo woo, but as another person, I would love to. Um, Love to do that. We kind of do that in our line numbers things as well. We kind of think, oh well, if we're doing all this down here, this is what we want to look like in the future. But it's still on a numbers, like a traditional numbers base, even though we're forecasting future things based on, you know, that that we can show where the, the revenue should be. But um, it's such an interesting concept. Well, this has been amazing. I'd love having people in on my podcast that we then go and we explore things that surprise me and also, again, surprised today. So Thank you so much.
1: It's been fun. And you know what? I learned a thing or two during this podcast.
0: Thank you so much. Because I, I believe that everyone should learn off everybody. So vice versa, if I only work with people who I feel that I can learn off. And I learn from my clients all the time and, and everybody. This is one of the reasons why you know, people say, well, why do you continue with the podcast? And I said, because
1: I learned so much. And that's why we need cohorts. You know, and, and when people say, oh, I was very lonely as a leader, I, I disagree. If you are very lonely as a leader, you clearly have done some, something wrong while you've moved off the ladder. When you learn and you learn in a cohort, you have people that you can bounce ideas off, and they may not be within your organization, but they are people that you trust outside your organization. You know, and I, I've, I, I've asked a fellow leader, and this was when I was in the, in the Australian Army for some advice, and he says, don't you know that? I so, said, no, I've got an idea. I just wanted to use you as a sounding board. And you know, that's what we do as leaders, right? We, we bounce ideas off people in our organisation, outside our organisation. And if you do that, if you learn in a cohort, then it's not lonely to be a leader.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And it should never, you should never feel alone in the, in the world, and I think a lot of us do at the moment. So um, can you leave us just with one tip? Because there was so much. My tip here is just listen to that several times and take lots of notes, go through the show notes, tip it off and, and and learn in that one. But if you could leave us with how would you say to somebody what's the one thing that they might be able to do tomorrow to start on this sustainable learning journey that's quite small that won't take much time?
1: I would, I would ask them what would you like to learn in the next two okay. months?
0: Yeah, that's good. Go and ask.
1: Because... To create to create a, a learning environment, you need to start learning yourself.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. We'll put all of Christian's links down on the show notes, so check him out, um, his LinkedIn and and all all that sort of stuff, and go and have a have a think about in the next two months what it is that you would like to learn. Christian, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Sam, for inviting me.
0: And everyone, as usual, be brave and continue the conversation. Thank you so much for your time. We work super hard on this podcast and are passionate about helping expert entrepreneurs build businesses without overwhelm to help us. Can you please leave a review if you loved it on Apple podcast or your favorite podcast platform?